0: Section six of the Rustlers of Pecos County by Zane Grey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter three, part two, sounding the timber. Well, I'll be doggoned. It was indeed my turn to be surprised, and with the surprise came glimmering. I'm sorry you're not there now, Jim. Did you sell out? No, just lost the place. Hodden was bursting for relief now to talk to tell sympathy had made him soft i did not need to ask another question it was two years ago two years last march he went on i was in a big cattle deal with sampson we got the stock and my share eighteen hundred head, was rustled off i owed sampson he pressed me it come to a lawsuit and i was ruined it hurt me to look at hodden he was white and tears rolled down his cheeks I saw the bitterness, the defeat, the agony of the man. He had failed to meet his obligation. Nevertheless, he had been swindled. All that he suppressed, all that would have been passion, had the man's spirit not been broken, lay bare for me to see. I had now the secret of his bitterness. But the reason he did not openly accuse Samson, the secret of his reticence and fear, these I thought best, to try to learn at some later time, after I had consulted with Steele. "'Hard luck, Jim. It certainly was tough,' I said. "'But you're a good loser, and the wheel turns. "'Now, Jim, here's what I've come particular to see you for. "'I need your advice. "'I got a little money between you and me, as friends. "'I've been adding some to that roll all the time. "'But before I lose it, I want to invest some, buy some stock, or buy an interest in some rancher's herd what I want you to steer me on is a good square rancher or maybe a couple of ranchers if there happens to be two honest ones in Pecos, huh? no deals with ranchers who ride in the dark with rustlers. I've a hunch Limrock's full of them. Now, Jim, you've been here for years, so you must know a couple of men above suspicion. Thank God I do, Russ, he replied feelingly. Frank Morton and Si Zimmer my friends and neighbors, all my prosperous days, and friends still. You can gamble on Frank and Sy, but, Russ, if you want advice from me, don't invest money in stock now. Why? Because any new fella buying stock in Pecos these days will be rustled quicker than he can say Jack Robinson. The pioneers, the new cattlemen, these are easy pickin'. But the new fellas have to learn the ropes. They don't know anything or anybody. And the old ranchers are wise and sore. They'd fight if they. What I put in as he paused. If they knew who was rustling the stock, nope. If they had the nerve, not that so much. What then? What makes them fight? A leader. I went out of Hodden's with that word ringing in my ears. A leader. In my mind's eye, I saw a horde of dark-faced, dusty-booted cattlemen riding, grim and armed, behind Vaughan Steele more thoughtful than usual i walked on passing some of my old haunts and was about to turn in front of a feed and grain store when a hearty slap on my back disturbed my reflection howdy there cowboy boomed a big voice it was morton the rancher whom jim had mentioned and whose acquaintance i had made he was a man of great bulk with a ruddy merry face hello morton let's have a drink i replied gotta rustle home he said young fella, i've a ranch to work sell it to me morton he laughed and said he wished he could his buckboard stood at the rail the horses stamping impatiently cards must be running lucky he went on with another hearty laugh can't kick on the luck but i'm afraid it will change morton my friend hodden gave me a hunch you'd be a good man to tie to now i've a little money and before i lose it I'd like to invest it in stock." He smiled broadly, but for all his doubt of me he took definite interest. "'I'm not drunk, and I'm on the square,' I said bluntly. "'You've taken me for a no-good cowpuncher without any brains. Wake up, Morton. If you never size up your neighbors any better than you have me, well, you won't get any richer.' It was sheer enjoyment for me to make my remarks to these men, pregnant with meaning. Morton showed his pleasure, his interest, but his faith held aloof. I've got some money. I had some. Then the cards have run lucky. Will you let me in on some kind of deal? Will you start me up as a stockman with a little herd of my own? Russ, this is darn strange coming from Sampson's cowboy, he said. I'm not in his outfit. My job's with Miss Sampson. She's fine, but the old man, nit. He's been after me for weeks. I won't last long. That's one reason I want to start up for myself. Hodden sent you to me, did he? Poor old Jim. Well, Russ, to come out flat-footed, you'd be foolish to buy cattle now. I don't want to take your money and see you lose out. Better go back across the Pecos, where the rustlers ain't so strong. I haven't had more than 2,500 head of stock for 10 years. The rustlers let me hang on to a breeding herd. Kind of them, ain't it? Sort of kind all i hear is rustlers i replied with impatience you see i haven't ever lived long in a rustler run country who heads the gang anyway frank morton looked at me with a curiously amused smile i hear lots about jack bloom and snecker everybody calls them out and out bad do they head this mysterious gang russ opine. bloom and snecker parade themselves off boss rustlers same as gun throwers but that's the love such men have for being through hell that's brains headin the rustlers gang hereabouts maybe bloom and snecker are blinds savvy what i mean morton maybe there's more in the parade than just the fame of it morton snapped his big jaw as if to shut in impulsive words look here morton i'm not so young in years even if i am young west of the pecos i can figure ahead It stands to reason, no matter how damn strong these rustlers are, how hidden their work, however involved with supposedly honest men, they can't last. They come with the pioneers, and they'll last as long as there's a single steer left, he declared. Well, if you take that view of circumstances, I just figure you as one of the rustlers. Morton looked as if he were about to brain me with the butt of his whip. His anger flashed by then as unworthy of him, and, something striking him as funny, he boomed out a laugh. "'It's not so funny,' I went on. "'If you're going to pretend a yellow streak, what else will I think?' "'Pretend,' he repeated. "'Sure, you can't fool me, Morton. I know men of nerve. And here in Pecos, they're not any different from those in other places. I say if you show anything like a lack of sand, it's all bluff.' "'By nature, you've got nerve. There are a lot of men around Limrock who are afraid of their shadows, afraid to be out after dark, afraid to open their mouths, but you're not one. So I say, if you claim these rustlers will last, you're pretending lack of nerve just to help the popular idea along, for they can't last. Morton, I don't want to be a hard-riding cowboy all my days. Do you think I'd let fear of a gang of rustlers stop me from going into business with a rancher? Nick. What you need out here in Pecos is some new blood, a few youngsters like me, to get you old guys started. Savvy what I mean? Well, I reckon I do, he replied, looking as if a storm had blown over him. I gauged the hold the Rustler gang had on Limrock by the difficult job it was to stir this really courageous old cattleman. He had grown up with the evil. To him, it must have been a necessary one, the same as dry seasons and cyclones. "'Russ, I'll look you up the next time I come to town,' he said soberly. We parted, and I, more than content with the meeting, retraced my steps down the street to the Hope So Saloon. Here I entered, bent on tasks as sincere as the one just finished, but displeasing because I had to mix with a low profane set to cultivate them, to drink occasionally despite my deafness at emptying glasses on the floor, to gamble with them and strangers, always playing the part of a flush and flashy cowboy, half-drunk, ready to laugh or fight. On the night of the fifth day after Steele's departure, I went, as was my habit, to the rendezvous we maintained at the pile of rocks out in the open. The night was clear, bright starlight, without any moon, and for this latter fact, safer to be abroad. Often from my covert, I had seen dark figures skulking in and out of Limrock. I WOULD HAVE BEEN INTERESTED TO HOLD UP THESE MYSTERIOUS TRAVELERS. SO FAR, HOWEVER, THIS HAD NOT BEEN OUR GAME. I HAD ENOUGH TO KEEP MY OWN TRACKS HIDDEN, AND MY OWN COMINGS AND GOINGS. I LIKED TO BE OUT IN THE NIGHT, WITH THE DARKNESS CLOSE DOWN TO THE EARTH AND THE FEELING OF A LIMITLESS OPEN ALL AROUND. NOT ONLY DID I LISTEN FOR Steele's SOFT STEP, BUT FOR ANY SOUND, THE YELP OF A COYOTE OR mourn OF A WOLF the creak of wind in the dead brush the distant clatter of hoofs a woman's singing voice faint from the town this time just when i was about to give up for that evening steele came looming like a black giant long before i heard his soft step it was good to feel his grip even if it hurt because after five days i had begun to worry well old boy how's tricks he asked easily well old man did you land that son of a gun in jail you bet i did and he'll stay there for a while del rio rather liked the idea russ all right there i sidestepped sanderson on the way back but over here at that little village sampson they call it i was held up couldn't help it because there wasn't any road around held up i queried that's it the buckboard was held up i got into the brush in time to save my bacon they began to shoot too soon did you get any of them didn't stay to see he chuckled had to hoof it to linrock and it's a good long walk been to your Doby yet tonight? i slipped in at the back russ it bothered me some to make sure no one was lying for me in the dark you'll have to get a safer place why not take to the open every night russ that's well enough on the trail but i need grub and i've got to have a few comforts i'll risk the dobe yet a little Then I narrated all that I had seen and done and heard during his absence, holding back one thing. What I did tell him sobered him at once, brought the quiet, somber mood, the thoughtful air. So, that's all. Well, it's enough. All pertaining to our job, Vaughn, I replied. The rest is sentiment, perhaps. I had a pretty bad case of moons over the little Langdon girl. But we quarreled, and it's ended now. Just as well, too because of Sheed. "'Russ, did you honestly care for her, the real thing, I mean?' "'I'm afraid so. I sort of hurt inside, but hell, there's one thing, sure. A love affair might have hindered me, made me soft. I'm glad it's over.' He said no more, but his big hand pressing on my knee told me of his sympathy, another indication that there was nothing wanting in this ranger. "'The other thing concerns you,' I went on somehow reluctant now to tell this. You remember how I heard Wright making you out vile to Miss Sampson? Swore you'd never come back. Well, after he had gone, when Sally said he meant you'd be killed, Miss Sampson felt bad about it, she said. She ought to be glad if someone killed you, but she couldn't be. She called you a bloody ruffian, yet she didn't want you shot. She said some things about the difference between your hideous character and your splendid stature called you a magnificent fellow that was it well then she choked up and confessed something to sally in shame and disgrace shame disgrace echoed steele greatly interested What? she confessed that she had been taken with you had her little dream about you and she hated herself for it never i thought would i forget vaughn steele's eyes it did not matter that it was dark I saw the fixed gleam, then the leaping, shadowy light. Did she say that? His voice was not quite steady. Wonderful. Even if it only lasted a minute, she might, we might. If it wasn't for this hellish job, Rush, has it dawned on you yet what I've got to do to Diane Sampson? Yes, I replied. Vaughn, you haven't gone sweet on her. What else could I make of that terrible thing in his eye? He did not reply to that at all. I thought my arm would break in his clutch. "'You said you knew what I've got to do to Diane Sampson,' he repeated hoarsely. "'Yes, you've got to ruin her happiness, if not her life.' "'Why, speak out, Russ. All this comes like a blow. There, for a little, I hoped you had worked out things differently from me. No hope. Ruin her life. Why?' I could explain the strange agitation in Steele in no other way, except that realization had brought keen suffering as incomprehensible as it was painful. I could not tell if it came from suddenly divine love for Diane Sampson, equally with a poignant conviction that his fate was to wreck her. But I did see that he needed to speak out the brutal truth. Steele, old man, you will ruin Diane Sampson because, as the rest looks improbable to me you'll have to kill her father. My God, why, why, say it? Because Samson is the leader of the Limrock gang of rustlers. That night before we parted, we had gone rather deeply into the plan of action for the immediate future. First I gave Steele my earnest counsel, and then, as stiff an argument as I knew how to put up, all anent the absolute necessity of his eternal vigilance. If he got shot in a fair encounter with his enemies, well. That was a ranger's risk and no disgrace, but to be massacred in bed, knifed in the dark, shot in the back, ambushed in any manner. Not one of these miserable ends must be the last record of Vaughn Steele. He promised me in a way that made me wonder if he would ever sleep again or turn his back on anyone. Made me wonder, too, at the menace in his voice. Steele seemed likely to be torn two ways already. There was a hint of future desperation. It was agreed that I make cautious advances to Hodden and Morton, and when I could satisfy myself of their trustworthiness, reveal my identity to them. Through this I was to cultivate Zimmer and then other ranchers whom we should decide could be let into the secret. It was not only imperative that we learn, through them, clues by which we might eventually fix guilt on the Rustler gang but also just as imperative that we develop a band of deputies to help us when the fight began. Steele, now that he was back in Limrock, would have the center of the stage with all eyes upon him. We agreed, moreover, that the bolder the front now, the better the chance of ultimate success. The more nerve he showed, the less danger of being ambushed, the less peril in facing vicious men. But we needed a jail. Prisoners had to be corralled after arrest, or the work would be useless, almost a farce, and there was no possibility of repeating trips to Del Rio. We could not use an adobe house for a jail because that could easily be cut out of or torn down. Finally, I remembered an old stone house near the end of the main street. It had one window and one door, and had been long in disuse. Steele would rent it, hire men to guard, and feed his prisoners. And if these prisoners bribed or fought their way to freedom, that would not injure the great principle for which he stood. Both Steele and I simultaneously, from different angles of reasoning, had arrived at a conviction of Samson's guilt. It was not so strong as realization, rather a divination. Long experience in detecting, and feeling the hidden guilt of men, had sharpened our senses for that particular thing. Steele acknowledged a few mistakes in his day, but I, allowing for the same strength of conviction, had never made a single mistake. But conviction was one thing, and proof vastly another. Furthermore, when proof was secured, then came the crowning task, that of taking desperate men in a wild country they dominated. Verily, Steele and I had our work cut out for us. However, we were prepared to go at it with infinite patience and implacable resolve steele and i differed only in the driving incentive of course outside of that one binding vow to save the ranger service he had a strange passion almost an obsession to represent the law of texas and by so doing render something of safety and happiness to the honest pioneers besides steele i knew i shrunk to a shadow i was not exactly a heathen and certainly I wanted to help harassed people, especially women and children. But mainly with me it was the zest, the thrill, the hazard, the matching of wits, in a word, the adventure of the game. Next morning I rode with the young ladies. In the light of Sally's persistently flagrant advances, to which I was apparently blind, I saw that my hard-won victory over self was likely to be short-lived. That possibility made me outwardly like ice i was an attentive careful reliable and respectful attendant seeing to the safety of my charges but the one-time gay and debonair cowboy was a thing of the past sally womanlike, had been a little very little repentant she had showed it my indifference had piqued her she had made advances and then my coldness had roused her spirit she was the kind of girl to value most what she had lost and to throw consequences to the winds in winning it back when i divined this i saw my revenge to be sure when i thought of it i had no reason to want revenge she had been most gracious to me but there was the catty thing she had said about being kissed again by her admirers then in all seriousness sentiment aside i dared not make up with her so the cold and indifferent part i played was imperative we halted on the ridge and dismounted for the usual little rest mine i took in the shade of a scrubby mesquite the girls strolled away out of sight it was a drowsy day and i nearly fell asleep something aroused me a patter of footsteps or a rustle of skirts then a soft thud behind me gave me at once a start and a thrill first i saw sally's little brown hands on my shoulders then her head with her hair all shiny and flying and fragrant came round over my shoulder, softly smoothing my cheek, until her sweet, saucy, heated face was right under my eyes. "'Russ, don't you love me any more?' she whispered. End of Section 6